Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Forgiving yourself is an odd teaching that has crept into Christians' understanding of sanctification. It's part of the culture's, culture's futile way of thinking, hoping that they can get rid of their sins. They have to try because they sense the shame, the same shame that we sense because, again, we're all from the same Adamic cloth. But because they reject God, because they reject His Word, what they have to do is they have to create policies and, and pathways to alleviate their soul noise, always leading down dead-end streets and box canyons. Without God, they blindly grope for the walls, making self-forgiveness a, a culturally common-sense way of feeling psychologically better about what is wrong with them. You'll hear it this way, you just need to forgive yourself. That is a typical way that people apply this secular doctrine within their communities. Unfortunately, our culture, our Christian culture, has picked up on this dangerous doctrine of forgiving yourself, and you just hear it all the time. And so I trust that what I share with you over the next few moments will, will help dismantle that heretical teaching and will help exalt the efficacy of Christ and what He did on the cross. We do not need to add anything to remove our sins. What Christ did was complete, and when He said it was finished, it was truly finished. And so there is nothing else to add to receive full forgiveness from all transgressions because of the power and, again, the efficacy of the gospel. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas at Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about this forgiving yourself because it's something that you have heard, maybe something that, that you say, possibly something that you teach, and not wanting to be an aggravationist here, I, I hope that you would give me a listen and think through what I'm sharing here. If you want to read a full transcript of it, this is so important. I want you to do it. I want you to have a word-for-word transcript. And so you can go to our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com and you can find a 2,000 plus word transcript. The title of it is The Dangerous Doctrine of Forgiving Yourself. And if you have trouble finding it, just uh, click on the search feature in our uh, on our website lifeovercoffee.com and, and just type in forgiving yourself I promise you if you type in forgiving yourself you'll find this article that you can read uh, you can also listen to the podcast that will be embedded in the article as well as a full-length video now if you want to print off the article there is a print button at the very bottom it's a big round button you can't miss it uh, just click on it and you can print it off and you can have it use it make copies you can share it with friends I would definitely encourage you as you disciple others that they use it personally, practically in their lives. Uh, you can use this as a homework assignment. I have some CTAs at the end, and I trust those questions will be beneficial to stir one another up to loving good works, as the Hebrew writer said in chapter 10. So again, the title of it is The Dangerous Doctrine of Forgiving 
yourself. A common thing that uh, we interact with pretty regularly, and so I trust that this will be beneficial to you. Now, typically a person who believes that he needs to forgive himself has sinned in some way. There is something going uh, uh, that has gone wrong. There's something that they had done, hence the need for forgiveness. All of us understand this, that all sin requires transactional forgiveness to be free from it. Even children know when they have done something wrong. We read in Romans chapter 2 that the Gentiles who, who do not have the law, talking about the Old Testament, they do the things contained in the law. Their conscience is accusing them and excusing them. And so we all have this moral reality that operates and we itself through our psyche, through our souls. And so when we sin, we sense that we have done something wrong. Now that is a good thing, but not understanding how to step into a transactional forgiveness construct, primarily with God Almighty, to receive His forgiveness, then we have to go sideways, horizontally, and, and seek cultural, faddish, popular, accepted ways to receive forgiveness, but those ways do not work. And one of those is this idea of forgiving yourself. And so the need for forgiveness is a straightforward Christian doctrine. I sin. I need forgiveness. But the problem arises when the person seeking forgiveness is not seeking forgiveness from God or from God alone. He is looking for something more besides God's forgiveness. He wants to be self-forgiving. And though he may know that God will forgive him of his sins, he also believes self-forgiveness is required. And this is where it gets into the Christian realm of people who know that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he may know that intellectually, but he believes that there is something else required. Yes, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself for what I did. And that is a very typical response for people who are beholding to this heretical teaching of forgiving yourself. And though this should be a self-evident heresy, that distorts the gospel by adding to forgiveness we receive from God alone, through Christ alone, based on the Bible alone. It's just not that clear with many Christians. There's a formula here, and maybe this would help you to think about it. Christ forgiving plus self-forgiving, it equals heresy. Or Christ forgiving and my acceptance of Christ forgiving, that equals the gospel. But these self-forgiving people are unknowingly adding to the gospel, and that is the problem. It is a distortion of the gospel. It is adding to what Christ was doing on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's like placing the lamb's blood above the doorpost. This is Exodus chapter 12, verse number 7. And it's like placing the blood of the lamb above the doorpost and then cutting yourself and placing your blood above the doorpost too. That is a, a dangerous teaching, and it's why I title this the dangerous doctrine of forgiving yourself.
The reason the perfect Lamb of God came to earth was to save us from our sins because we could not save ourselves from our sins. There is nothing that we can add to the ledger that would do anything to obviate our sins. An unclean thing cannot make an unclean thing clean, making Christ's redemption a central plank in the gospel platform. Sin separates people from Christ, and if they're going to experience cleansing, God in the flesh must wash us whiter than snow by His blood and His blood alone. He is the one that removes all transgressions, meaning He is the one that provides full, complete, plenary forgiveness. Jesus came and became a man, lived perfectly, died on the cross, rose from the grave to conquer our sin and provide a means to free sinner man from his sin. Paul said it this way in 1-7 of Ephesians, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. There is no way to insert or to weave self-forgiveness in that sentence, and why would you? That would be such a distortion in, in that sentence. If the sinner man could forgive himself, he would not need a perfect sacrifice. If an imperfect sacrifice would do, or a partially imperfect sacrifice would do, in addition to the perfect sacrifice, then who, who needs Christ? If an imperfect sacrifice will do, how convenient. I can sin. I can forgive myself of sin. I can be free from my sin. I can live in a hermetically sealed, self-made, redemptive world. The Bible teaches that only Christ can forgive us of our sins. We can't add to it. We can't forgive ourselves. There's no forgiveness that we can offer to ourselves to remove anything about our sins. Only Christ can do it. Our sins were against an infinite, holy, almighty, and sovereign Lord. There is no biblical basis or need for us to step into some kind of self-forgiving worldview. The person who is struggling with self-forgiveness has, has, again, committed some sin. They have transgressed God's moral law, and they feel bad about their actions. Now, that is a good thing. This feeling is called conviction. It is their conscience convicting them. This is what I was sharing earlier in, in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. The Gentiles who do not have the law feel bad when they do things that transgress the law, they accuse themselves and excuse themselves. Their conscience is bearing upon them. For the Christian, the Spirit of God is also, in addition, the Spirit of God is bringing that conviction as he is grieved. The Spirit that lives in us is grieved and quenched. These are all good things. It creates a recognition that we have done something wrong. Whenever we sin, there should be an appropriate and accompanying conviction. To feel bad about wrongs committed is kindness from the Lord. We see it in our culture every day where there is no feeling or sense or awareness of, of 
feeling bad about what they have done because they have so distorted truth and so hardened their consciences to the place of being seared that they cannot perceive the Gentiles, their consciences condemning them. Many people in our culture today do not feel that condemnation whatsoever. They feel they feel no conviction. And imagine being able to sin but not know it, discern it, sense it. It would be like slicing your hand open and not feeling the pain. Pain in such an instance is mercy from God. Spiritual conviction is similar to physical discomfort. It allows us to respond to God, to receive His forgiveness, and to move on in the freedom that the power of the gospel offers us. If we say that we have no sin, this is John talking in 1 John 1, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from a little bit of unrighteousness. That was a quiet, that was a, a slight twisting of the scripture. Actually, it says to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Sometimes Christians have difficulty receiving and resting in God's restorative forgiveness. They may even ask God to forgive them multiple times, but the lingering residual feeling of conviction remains. This feeling is a false sense of guilt that is not resting in the gospel's transformative power. If you are a Christian and you have asked God to forgive you, based on what I just shared out of Ephesians, based on what I shared uh, out of 1 John chapter 1, then you are forgiven. And so if there is a sense, a false sense of guilt, I'm calling it, then you're not resting in the gospel's transformative power. The solution is not self-forgiveness. The solution is being informed theologically and then practically applying that theology to your life. Their lack of gospel trust disables them from fully appropriating the undeserved favor that God provides. These unbelieving Christians, they continue to struggle with ongoing issues like guilt and remorse and shame and embarrassment. Their self-imposed guilt may even drive them to isolate themselves from others by hiding the complete truth about what is happening inside of them. And like their predecessor, Adam, they cover themselves with fig leaves. Hiding unresolved guilt issues, it only complicates the original sin that they were struggling with. And so now there are other sins. As, as these people pursue to find relief from their guilt, and rather than running to God, they entangle themselves in a godless orbit of temptations that pushes them into a spiral of self-perpetuating dysfunction that eventually propels them to find doctrines that are not taught in Scripture, like you just need to forgive yourself. The gospel's full power becomes marginalized in their lives because of their view of themselves, their view of God, and his gospel is limited and smallish in their minds. This worldview is the appeal of the self-esteem movement. That's why self-forgiveness would come from the culture because there is a 
there is a big view of humanity and a, a small view of God. And a person who believes in self-forgiveness has a high view of themselves and a low view of God. This person spends an inordinate amount of time thinking about themselves rather than God. And they can spiral down into a, a, a self esteem not because of their view of themselves and their low view of God. Let me give you some comparisons between self-esteem and Christianity, just a handful. Self-esteem teaches us to think highly of ourselves. Christianity teaches us to think highly of others. Self-esteem teaches us to be all we can be. Christianity teaches us to make others great. Self-esteem teaches us to be independent. Christianity teaches us to be interdependent. Self-esteem teaches us to be competitive. Christianity teaches us to elevate others. Self-esteem teaches us not to be self-critical. Christianity teaches us to own our depravity. The self-esteem movement is counterproductive to the Christian way of thinking, our Christian presupposition and worldview. Self-esteem leads to more and more introspection, more and more individualism, which has an incarcerating effect on the mind. Can anyone think more about themselves and feel better about themselves because of their introspective reflections? The gospel frees us from ourselves while motivating us to focus more on God and others. The self-forgiver is intuitively self-focused. All he can think about is what he did, how bad he feels about what he did, and how God would never forgive such an awful person as him. Self-esteem makes man and his problems big and God and his power small. The Bible category for self-esteem is actually self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the correct label for self-esteem. Let me illustrate. Let's imagine that you have a person, let's imagine that a person being two people, let's imagine that there's an individual who, suspend your imagination, who is two people. Let's say this person is me for the illustration, okay? So in this illustration, I am person A, and I am person B. I represent both people. Now, let's say that person A commits adultery, A for adultery, and person B, who is also me, is in disbelief over what person A did. I cannot believe in other words, I am shocked at what I did. Dear God, I can't believe I did that. That's me looking at me. I'm sorry, it goes this, that's, that, is, that is me looking down at me. For those of you who are watching, uh, listen to the podcast, I had my hands in the wrong place. And so here's person B who is shocked at what person A committed adultery did. And so person B is looking down. I am shocked at what I did. Dear God, I can't believe I did that. And in addition to being shocked, I am I'm embarrassed. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm confused. I'm ashamed of what I did. My self-esteem gospel tells me to think highly of myself, person B. But my reality tells me I have a problem 
person A who committed adultery. I'm in a tailspin. Why? You see, self-esteem says I am somebody. I am great. I can do all things who strengthens me. The Bible says I am a sinner, totally depraved. I am I'm capable of many other things that are worse than adultery. Only a person with a high view of himself would be shocked at what he did. It is so bad I, I can't get over it. No Christian should be surprised when he sins. Though we are saints, we also choose to sin on occasion. We are fallen people living in a fallen world, and at times we are tempted to yield to the temptations of sin, a sad fact of life. If we regularly imbibe the counterproductive self-esteem model, we will constantly be shrinking into someone who finds it hard to accept our sinfulness. And while we continually caress ourselves upward by maintaining our high thoughts about ourselves, our sin will also confront us, colliding in our minds like a roller coaster of evil and conflicted thoughts. The self-esteem model teaches a person to ignore weaknesses and ignore wrongs. Thus, when the certainty of our Adamic tendencies come to roost, we will be surprised, shocked, disbelieving, discouraged. The Christian's counter to this worldview is to regularly soak in the Scripture's view that we are saints who sin. This view will prepare us to face the reality of, of who we are before God and others. And though we will experience guilt and conviction after we sin, our actions will not throw us into a ditch, but we can fast track to the only one who can fully and freely forgive us. And rather than looking down on ourselves in shock that we did what we did because we have such a high view of ourselves, we actually lower ourselves to what the Bible teaches us about ourselves. The Bible does not have a high view of humans. The Bible has a deficient view of who we are and what we can do. Whenever the Bible talks about our propensities outside of the grace of God, its view of man is low, even pronouncing eternal torment on those who reject God. Self-esteem biblically defined as self-righteousness, can only lead to one conclusion. We must go outside the Bible's boundaries for a solution. Thus, the self-esteemer will never be free because they have gone outside the Bible's boundaries looking for solutions that are cisterns that cannot hold water. And they will live with the ongoing residual effect of guilt and shame because of their unwillingness to embrace a sober self-assessment of who they are, a born-again sinner. The battles of guilt and shame that reject the gospel's cure will always motivate other measures like self-forgiveness. I asked Christ to forgive me, and I believe he did, but I still struggle with what he did, so I just need to forgive myself. If you have difficulty embracing your sins, or accepting the poor view of yourself that your sins affirm, you'll have difficulty obtaining a gospel cleanse. Christ came for sinners, not people who can't believe they did such a thing or won't own the truth about their sinful actions. 
all sin is against God, and only God can forgive all sin completely. Let me illustrate by giving you, I want to give you a truth, and then I want to give you an analogy. Here's the truth. The person we sin against, the Lord, is the one who determines the price to pay to cover the offense. And so the one that we sin against is the one who determines the the price that will cover the offense. That's the truth. Here's an analogy. If you cause a car accident, you do not determine what you will pay to make amends for your mistake, the accident. No, it's the insurance company. The insurance agent comes in. He's the one that assesses the damage, and he is the one that lets you know what it will cost. Now, this analogy is proximate to how forgiveness works with God. God is the insurance agent, and he always determines what it will take to cover the offense, not the one who caused the accident, the offender. The Lord made that decision a long time ago when he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. You or I do not tell God that we need an additional sacrifice for the sins that we committed, this idea of forgiving ourselves. Imagine a friend paying for your meal at a restaurant. Last night we were out with some friends. I jumped up, I thought, and enough time to go and pay the bill. And when I got to the uh, cash register, uh, to the wait staff, I said, hey, I'll take care of that. And the person said, no, uh, your friend already took care of that. And so what I did, I said, that's fine, but uh, how much was it? It says such and such. And I said, well, I want to pay it too. I want to pay for it, even though he paid for it. They looked at me like, you're out of your mind. That's dumb. Nobody would do that. That has never happened before. Actually, that's not true. All that story is true up to the point to where I said I wanted to pay for it too. Imagine that you're in a restaurant and you, uh, and you, uh, your friend pays for the meal, as I described. And though you appreciate it, you decide to also pay for the meal, as I, in a fictionalized way, describe, in addition to his payment. Well, we know that's dumb. We know that makes no sense. You do not need to pay for something that someone else has already paid. And you do not need to forgive yourself after God has forgiven you. And so it really brings it down to the real question that we have to answer. Can we rest? In God's forgiveness alone, grace alone, Christ alone, what the Bible teaches alone. Or do we need to add something to it like our forgiveness too? I've titled this The Dangerous Doctrine of Forgiving Yourself. You can read a full transcript of what I've shared with you. You can also watch it in video and you can listen to the podcast. The gospel came to take care of our sin problems because we could not. Our job should be simple. Apply the gospel to our lives. We must ask, we receive, and we apply God's forgiveness to our lives. And then we rest in His gospel 
goodness. Now, if you are like me, a person who can become overly shocked by personal sin, I can't believe I did that. We have a high view of ourselves. We don't understand total depravity. Maybe we need to repent of self-righteousness or what the culture would call self-esteem. Sometimes I can forget that Jesus is enough for all of my sin. How about you? I want to wrap up by asking you a couple of questions and then we'll be finished. Are you able to rest in God's forgiveness? What does that mean, practically speaking? How is the gospel lowering your soul noise? Do you churn inside? Is there guilt, conviction, shame? How is the gospel lowering your, your soul noise? What does the peace of God mean to you? See, one of the issues here is that soul noise that we have. It can ratchet up and amplify. And if we're not careful, we can look for solutions outside of God's Word. Forgiving ourselves is one of those solutions. Are you able to rest in God's forgiveness? Number two, why do you sense the need to forgive yourself? When an infinite God gave you an infinite gift to pay for your infinite offense against Him, what can you add to infinity? Would you be willing to talk about why it's wrong to remove all your guilt by something more than Christ's sacrifice? This would be a, a, a rich theological study as well as a, a practical application opportunity. And then number three, what is going on in your thinking that hinders you from trusting and resting in the Lord? What compels you to add to the gospel, to add your blood to the doorpost so that you can be assured that all is well, Christ's blood and yours? Why isn't God's forgiveness enough? And then my last question here is because it's just not a, a confrontation of theology. Uh, but sometimes people will use words from the culture, but they mean something else. And so they're trying to communicate something else, and they're really not thinking about self-forgiveness at all in a heretical sense, but it has become a word to describe something else. There is a possibility of that, and that these people aren't heretical. They're not theologically askew. They're just using a very bad word that really undermines sound theology. It undermines the cross. It is rooting out the cross, even though they are using a word that's unwittingly doing that. And so my final question is, do you mean something else if you say you need to forgive yourself? What are you attempting to describe? If you sense guilt in your soul that continues, what is the solution, which we know is not self forgiveness. And so what is the solution? Maybe you are trying to describe something else. Now, again, we do this all the time. That is what the DSM-5 is. It is a book of bad labels that's trying to describe realities. And so ADHD is a terrible label that Christians use all the time. PTSD is a terrible label that Christians use all the time. And so when we 
use the cultural culture's language and labels to identify real problems, we, we create a hybrid of conflict when it would be better to describe the actual problem using biblical nomenclature, and then we can get away from this confusion. And that's why question number four is just that important. And so I want to go through it again. What do you mean? Do you mean something else? If you say that you need to forgive yourself, what are you attempting to describe? Now, this is the dangerous doctrine of forgiving yourself. Please read it. Please watch it. Please listen to the podcast and share it with 1,000 of your friends. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.